Karakoto, good morning. Good morning. Hey, great to be here. As I said yesterday, I'm terrified of tall pulpits, but I'll stand, walk around. Great to be here. This place means so much. Ron, Mary, the team, thank you. Namahinui atiatoa ki koto katoa. Norera, tena koto, tena koto, tena koto katoa. It's just a little greeting from New Zealand, from our Māori community and the people we work a lot with. Hey, I'm just, I'm honestly, it's it's just great to be here. And uh, I want to just tell you a little bit about my background, understand it. I want to just share just something prophetically in my heart for you and see where we go. So I was, my dad, before he had any of us, he was an alcoholic. He was picked up in the streets of a place called Hamilton in New Zealand scrubbed them up. After a time, he decided to go to Bible school where he met my mother. Now, my mother was a squeaky clean Presbyterian. She's shorter than me, so she was not a threat, but she was like an angel. She never sinned. She was part of the incarnation, I think, you know, anyway. But she was just, so here's my dad. He knew all the pub songs. My mum knew all the church songs. They go to Bible school, fall in love, decide to go and serve God in Papua New Guinea, a little place called Suki. They live in two different islands for two years because of the regulations of missionaries in those days you weren't to marry for two years. So they used to swim across at different times. (laughs) Finally, they get married, have five children, and so forth. They come into a pioneering environment where um, they were still literally eating one another, uh, the the locals and so forth. Mum and dad come in there, they, they start just teaching the gospel saw the dead rise at the beginning in a, in a way that they didn't even believe in those sort of miracles. And as a result, literally the whole of that village and village after village started to come to Christ. I went back there last year and I just want to encourage some of you, because Ron just asked me to tell a little of my story. Um, I went back there last year and I flew into this tiny little cricket pitch of an airstrip which I've been trying to get back for two years. And as I get there, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were there to see the son of Bill and Jean Hardy. They took me in there. They put me under a tree as tall as this, taller than this, and as a mango tree. And they said, this is the tree under which, uh, w- which we planted in honor of your mum and dad. And someone walked up to me and he touched me on my head. He's similar age to me and he was crying. And he said, Fraser, my family were the first people to come to Christ in this place. My family were eating other human beings when your mum and dad came. And others would come and they'd just start to talk about what had happened in their life and how the beauty of the gospel had changed them and what it had done. I just want to say to some of you here today, I know who work in things like community services and work with people, at times you'll never know what's happened You'll never understand the beauty of this gospel where it's gone. But I want to tell you, it's written in the hearts of hundreds of people. When I went there this time, it is no longer in one island, but into six different islands. There are churches being planted. And um, and this whole thing has just kept spreading. Why? Because someone got picked out of the street. Someone met the angel from heaven. They marry, and they believe that God can do something through their lives. Isn't that amazing? I just want to encourage you, Lord, right in this place now, those who may have walked in here for various reasons, things they're walking through, maybe even experiencing and wondering what their life really is about, I thank you for the worth of every single person. 
I thank you for the kindness in this room. I thank you for the courage, the sacrifice. I thank you for the struggles. Today, we just want to offer it before you and just say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. I want to just quickly share a prophetic word and then open scripture to you. When I came here, I said to Ron and Mary uh, and the team yesterday, so I apologize because I shared this with the team, and I'll make it as quick as I can. By the way, I'm married. I've got three sons. One is married, lives in Australia, married a, a Dutch girl called Rennie. I've got a second son called Aaron. He's married a Maori girl called uh, Tiata Tairakana. And I've got a third son who is a single who's doing law. So that's my family and Dale, who's amazing to still be with me. So what a great lady. Um, when I, at the beginning of this year, um, I'm in prayer. Like you, we've had numbers of years of, of prayer being important. Because the plates, as if it were the ground under, I think, the nations are kind of shifting and moving at the moment. They're shifting under nations, under governments, under churches, under networks. I think we're trying to work out just where uh, some of the things are meant to be going. We're in shifting times. And so we've been praying into this season a lot, like you. Beginning of this year, I'm in prayer, and almost as clearly as I'm seeing you, I see this deciduous branch. Deciduous trees are trees that in winter lose their leaves. And um, this, I saw this deciduous tree, this deciduous branch. And as I'm kind of seeing it in my spirit, I felt the Holy Spirit just took me to the end of the tip. And as I looked at this, my background is horticulture. As I looked at this, there's a term which we used to use, is this, that at the beginning of spring, the, the end of it starts to bulb or starts to go like this. And as I'm looking at it, it goes... And it's the first sign of bulbing, the first sign of spring, the first sign of a new kind of uh, a moment out of coming out of a dry period. And as I looked at this, I looked at it, and then I realized through my horticulture background that if I came back the next day, there'd be a, another, another, another. And before you know it, a week later, the tree is covered in a whole variety of leaves. You understand? I just want to say this to you as a community. I believe with all my heart that there's something in the very atmosphere of who you are at the moment, I believe, is, is bulbing again. And I believe that part of this, and I read yesterday, I won't go into it because of time, but I believe part of this is there's something spreading afresh in your midst. I believe there's something about community that's going to be touched. I think there's something in your midst that's starting to find like new leaf, new, new, new voice, new courage, new endeavor. I think there's something of your community that in this next season is going to find its voice afresh through you, through what you dare to do. So if you could just turn with me to the book of Judges 17. And I just want to share a few thoughts around this. And I'm just labeling this when a Levite walks past. I'm going to Levite walks past. A little bit of the story of our church back in Hamilton. We planted a church about seven years ago, eight years ago. We came into a community thinking we were going to reach students. Instead, on the first night, we come to our home and our son, who lives down the road in one of the um, the police told him, the police told him not to live there because it is just it is a gang street. The first night he brings up a mother who's drunk with her four children 
and she sleeps in our, in, our, in, our, in our house with all our boxes and things. Wakes up in the morning, comes upstairs, and there's a small group of us having breakfast who are planting this church. She says, oh, kia ora whanau. Tēnā koe. How are you? We said, good. She says, oh, is this this thing they call the church? We said, yeah, I guess so. She says, I'll be here next week. She brings at least 10 or a dozen of some of these street kids, people who live down the street there. And it started a journey after being robbed. My son got robbed at least six times, lost everything he had. But as he started to play with the kids, as he started to teach them guitar, and through a miracle, which I told yesterday, and I've got to be very quick, but through a miracle of seeing James, who was one of the young gang leaders there, absolutely healed. He stood up and he was healed from prayer. All these young people and the youth group started out of that environment. About a year later, one of the most beautiful moments for me, certainly as a church leader, was we decided to have a party in this street. And um, they just cut off the street. They didn't ask the police. They just cut the street off. And why wouldn't you? They're all gang families and members. And um, so they cut off the street and we bring in a truck, flatbed truck, beautiful big truck. And we just set it up for music. And they all gather around. Everybody had to take their gang patches off. They weren't allowed them there. And they put them down because it was just a time of peace. And they all start to gather, several hundred. And we barbecue, we eat and we'd get up and we'd sing some songs and they'd do a bit of reggae and, and we'd do a bit and we'd just talk just about this, this beautiful little community, though broken, beautiful now in our eyes because of the people that had walked into our lives and somehow that we had been able to change. And as we sat there and listened to this and I'm there and I'm getting old and tearful and I'm sitting there and I said to my wife, honey, this is like a little kiss of heaven. This is a moment of heaven in the midst of some of their hells where they can just sit and watch their family and clap them and cheer them on before the, before the truck moved out and drove away and the night was finished. And I looked at that and I said, thank you, God, that he has made us to be a kingdom of priests and kings. There's something about us, uh, sorry, a kingdom of priests, that we are able to walk into people's communities and touch their lives. Let's look at this little story here. And I believe it is so much like our current time. There was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you, ta- you, you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. I mean, what a great son. <laughs> He's flogged the money from his mum. This is Israel's in a broken state. They've kind of lost their way. Families are in trouble. Things aren't quite working out. Verse, verse 3, the Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. She must be Italian. Oh, my beautiful son. <laughs> You've stolen a whole year of salary from me. You're so, it's a good boy, you know. <laughs> Come on, he should have whacked him. Anyway, his mother replied. <laughs> Not let it touch, anyway. He returned the money to his mother and says, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord in honor of my son, I will have an image carved and made. So when they returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins, gave them to, to a silversmith, made them into an image and an idol. Again, they're broken. They're looking for something that makes sense. And so what do they do? They make an idol, an image, which they're not meant to, even though they're from a Jewish background. 
but they're looking for some kind of significance, some kind of spirituality in the midst of the obviously a broken family, a broken journey, a broken culture. And he says, I dedicate the, the, these coins. So they make this idol, then he installs, uh, verse, sorry, verse, verse 5, it says, Micah set up a shrine for the idol. He made a sacred ephod, some household idols. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priests. You don't do that. You're not allowed to do it. But hear me, guys, this is the time we're in. People, I believe, may not have the right way to do it. They're looking for spirituality. They're looking for a Levite. They're looking for somebody to come into their space who will start to make sense of this God thing, of this journey of faith when they don't quite understand it. I believe part of the bulbing, part of the season you're walking into, you're going to walk into the house, many houses of people like Micah. And you're going to walk in, you may be offended by the idols, you may be offended by some of the things happening, but we've got to walk past that and realize behind that is a desire, a longing to find something of the transcendence, something of hope that breaks into the midst of that. And he walks past this. My boy plays rugby league. Two of my boys play rugby league. Very tough, very strong. They play top-level rugby league. One day, one of the guys, Ritani, comes, and he says, you guys don't seem to get as drunk and as stoned as we do. Hopefully not drunk or stoned, but are you guys religious? See, my boys are Levi. My boys are something of hope in that little community. There's something that, for whatever reason, in the midst of hitting and tackling and doing he sees that there's something different that he's looking for. I'll come back to that story in a moment. One day, in those days, Israel had no king. People did whatever was right. One day, listen to this, verse 7, a young Levite who had been living in Bethlehem in Judah arrived in that area. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live. By the way, Levite's priests weren't meant to be from Bethlehem. But anyway, he's a Levite. He's at least in the right tribe. He's somebody who's got something of God upon him, starts to come by, and says, in search of a place to live. And as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. I promise you this, guys. This is a season where we as priests are just going to happen to enter into homes that are not sure, that are making stuff, doing stuff, breaking stuff, but they're looking for a Levite to walk past their door and enter their space and put their arm around their shoulders and say, it's okay. I shared with these guys yesterday as I walked out of church two weeks ago. A young girl there's that row of them sitting. And I could see she had a police uh, band around. And she's obviously been naughty. And I went down to her and I just went down and just gave her a big hug. And I says, how are you? I'll call her Mary. How are you, Mary? She says, tears. Sitting there with this police band. She's allowed out for two hours. I says, you've been naughty? She says, yeah, I've been naughty. I says, you know we love you, don't you? She says, I know that. I says, why are you here? She says, Mr. Hardy, <laughs> this is the only place I feel safe in. I come here just to be with you, me in the church. I believe we underestimate in this season, you, church, 
as this place spreads, I think you underestimate how much people are looking for a Levite. Somebody who understands this transcendent, somebody full of grace and truth, just to walk by somebody's life and let them know they're okay. Let them know they're going to make it. Let them know that in the midst of life's journeys, you know what, there's somebody who cares. Let me keep reading the story before I come back to Ritani. And one day this Levite walks by and he says, will you come and live with me? He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from? Micah asked him. And he replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm looking for a place to live. I Stay here with me, Micah said, and you can be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year plus a change of clothes and your food. That's more than what they pay us, Aaron. The Levite agreed to this, and the young man become, listen to this, like one of Micah's sons. So Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest, and he lived in Micah's house. I know the Lord will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite who's serving as my priest. Guys, I believe, I I know it in my spirit being here. We're in such a time, and we're in such a season right now, where I believe the communities we're living in is looking for a Levite to walk past. So here's my sons. They happen to be Levites in the rugby field. And Ritani says, what are you guys up to? There's something different about you. And, he says, and they said, are you guys religious? They said, well, we, we go to church. And so, they, so my son says, um, didn't say anything to him. And he says, do you mind if us fellas come? Ritani brings his wife to Kela. And they got two twin boys. And they come. They sit there, they cry. They come the next week, they cry even more. They give their hearts to the Lord. Next 12 months, they work through all their drug addictions and their issues and stuff. We walk in their home and we hold them and we pray for them and you know, we, we just talk with life and sometimes we think they'll make it and next time we think they won't. And as they start to rise, this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful image of God starts to grow in them. He goes off to university. He's just finishing his degree and doing masters this year. His wife is now working with the community. They now lead our youth group, and next year we'll be elders in the church. Why? Because a Levite went past. I, I'm in a bike riding club with all these wealthy business guys, and um, the only reason I'm there is one of the wealthy business guys gave me a $4,000 bike, so I kind of have to go there. And... Um, <laughs> So we're just biking. I've never said a word about being God. They knew I work for church. They kind of respect that. They're good people. But as I'm biking the other day, one of them says, Fraser, um, would you guys think about doing something about marriage? You think of doing a marriage course? We said, yeah, we'll do that. And he says, because I think a whole lot of us could do with a marriage course. Is that okay? I says, you know, be welcome. When I get home from this trip, why? Because I happen to be a Levite who's walked past their door and walk into their community and somewhere in the midst of it as it says you have become more than just someone trying to get me saved you have become like a son to me it says here there's something of your life that is connected with me in such a way that I know that my house will be blessed because you dared to enter that space one night a young girl I can by the way I promise you this too. As this bulbing 
keeps happening. It's already happening. Some of you here today, by the way, this kind of place is a bit strange for you, new into church. I want to say you're my heroes today. Be at peace. Thank you for being here. I really mean that. And you're going to find more and more of this happening. A girl came to her house. Well, she's carried into her house. She'd been beaten with steel bars. And she couldn't stand or she couldn't sit. When she went to sit, she was too sore. When she stood, she was too much pain. She was there and, um, and we just didn't know what to do. And we just got one of our young ladies, about another 15, 16-year-old, and she just wrapped arms around him and lay in bed. And for the rest of the night, she just lay there with her arms around her and just sung her songs through the night and just, just put some hope. She went back into that gang situation. But for a moment, a Levite came into her life. For a moment, someone wrapped an arm around her and said, you know what, honey, you're going to be all right. I don't know how, but you're going to be all right. Can we pray for you? See, a Levite goes past the door. I believe, I want to say this for this community as I've been in here this time, I believe this season for you, as this church starts to bulb, as this church starts to... That in this place, and I feel particularly in the next season of changes that are going to happen, part of the change is that there's going to be testimony after testimony after testimony of people who are finding that their homes, that they have become like priests, Levites, into the homes of many people that they've started to visit and started to walk by and started to be part of. There's something about this season, I believe, as it says here, that it's like you become as one of their sons. You become as one of their people. I had a phone call a little while ago. And um, we don't just work with gang people, please. We, we work with all sorts. We have students and so on. But in this case, it was one of the, these families. And they rang me. I was just about to go on holiday. And they said to me, would you come and do a funeral tomorrow? Our auntie's died. I says, well, I don't know your auntie. I don't know anybody in your family. They says, yeah, but you're our... You're our, our leader. You're, you're our Levite. <laughs> you're our friend. We've got nobody else. I go into this room. There's about 50 people. The casket is honestly what happened. They said, can anyone speak for auntie? One guy says, she's just a useless, drunk, old so-and-so. And I'm thinking, oh, that's encouraging. <laughs> anyone else? Not a lot else. Anybody else? Finally, a man stood up, said a little bit. I just open a couple of scriptures and I'm in the midst of this Micah-like generation where stuff is broken. What an awesome privilege as I sit in this room with 30, 40 of these grieving people with auntie who was obviously a very, very awful person in many ways from what I heard. But just to sit there and look in their eyes and open this, read them a little scripture of hope and pray for them. And as they sit there and they bow their heads, you realise you've become a priest. You've become a Levite who's bothered to walk past their, 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 their doorway. One of the things that's said of Jesus, it says, when it talks in Hebrews about who he was, it uses this word, this word metropathia in the, in the Greek. In other words, he had the ability to be, feel our sorrows and carry our griefs over and over and over and over again. And there's something about him that wasn't just passing by, but was willing to be invited into the very core of the kind of community he walked by in his case. 
And I want to just encourage you in this season, as you come into the season again, that um, you are a kingdom of priests. See, the Old Testament never wanted kings. Do you remember that? God wanted priests and prophets. Prophets who could smell and sense and speak something of heaven and priests who could walk in the dusty journey of life and somehow in that mix of heaven and earth are able to represent a kingdom that is full of grace and truth. God never wanted kings. Why? Because when kings came in, they didn't need prophets any longer because they were threatening and priests became just kind of in some ways, of little use because they just worked with the little people and the kings. But God is looking for prophets who would hear his voice and priests who would walk on the dusty journey. When Jesus came into being, they said, we want to make you king. He said, I'll have none of that. He wasn't interested in being king. Why? Because he was a prophetic priest. He still is to the order of Melchizedek. He's a high priest even now. Why? Because there's something in the heart of God, this beautiful, priestly, prophetic God that we serve that doesn't have to come in and take over as such, but will use a community like this, this kingdom of priests that'll walk through the dusty journey of people's lives, that'll walk into their spaces. What happened to Ritani? Ritani, I was actually going to bring him on this trip, but Ritani is now part of a community of people now who've been asked to come in and actually shape one of the biggest organisations to do with Māori culture and Christian Māori spirituality as such in our city at the moment. Last story. Last year, my son and a group started to write songs from this community, Māori songs, Christian songs. They wrote an album that actually, quite a simple album, but it went to number one actually on iTunes for nearly a week because they started for the first time to sing the songs that came from the hearts of this community that no one else cared about. Songs of Tereo, songs of Māori, songs of hope, songs of destiny. And they started to sing uh, these songs across the land. They go to a Christian um, um, organisation, a beautiful youth organisation, about four or five years ago. In the midst of one of them preaching, some of our, our young people, mainly kind of Maori young people, they just get so excited by this God thing that they get to the front and they start doing the haka. Kamate, kamate, kora, kora. And they start to just kind of, they're just blown away that a God would love them and they start to celebrate in the midst of this thing. And the guy at the front says, Sit down, we don't have that stuff here. And they walk away and they think, What is this about? We're just wanting them to know we think it's amazing. They go and they just, it was like just a funeral of these kids saying, where, where do we fit? Where does this, the guy, the guy who led that thing, he goes away. God convicts him. God bless him. He comes back about three months later, apologizes to the whole lot. Next year, he gets them, all of them, 5,000 young people and he gets our young people to teach them a Christian haka. They, 5,000 of them do this haka. This last year, and I do finish on this story, I promise you, you start this journey, you're going to have hundreds of stories. Amen? Yeah. Hundreds of stories are going to pour out of Gateway. I promise you, I, it's here. 
it's bulbing, it's going. It's here. That they come to this last year. My son is speaking in front of all these young people. And he starts to, but before he speaks, who gets up to give a testimony, is asked to give a testimony, is Tequila. She gets up and she tells her story, basically about how a Levite came past her house. These Christians came into her house, what God's done in her life. My son gets up to preach. He talks about the culture and he starts to sing an African song because his life has been affected by Burundi as much as any other country because he went there and served amongst the poor kids and the gun firing and so on going around. He nearly died twice in that time. Changed his life. But because of that, he stands up and he starts to sing in African. And as he sings in African, all of a sudden, didn't realize there's 10, 12, 15 Africans. They start to dance. Why? Because somebody's singing this song. Somebody kind of is, kind of actually understands in a strange land that actually this thing's important. And then after he finishes speaking, 40, 50 of these young people from church, they just get up there, ragged looking, and they start to sing. And oh my, tears pour out of my eyes. And I look at it, these were once not a people. Now they become a people of God. These are part of a community of where some Levite of some sort, somebody dared to sit with them, hold them in their bed through the night, care for them, tell them they're going to make it, prayed for them. We're willing to let them fail over and over and over, but something that's metropathia, this thing that keeps walking into this space, full of grace and truth, finds a way to win the hearts of the community we're in. Could you just stand together, please? Holy Spirit, I thank you for who this beautiful company of people are. And I pray now as they worship together, I pray there'll be something in their hearts, in their voice, the grace and truth that's here that would just lift the communities they live in, would lift their friends. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, like that Levite who walked past and changed Micah's life and his broken household, I pray there'll be something of this community, Lord, that increasingly, as this tree continues to grow, as people come to live in her branches, oh, Holy Spirit, they would see some of the greatest healings, some of the greatest miraculous works of God. They would weep as they've never wept before. Something would break in their hearts as men and women start to hear the beauty of the sound of heaven coming into their communities. Now my Harimai Wairuatapu, come, Holy Spirit, I pray and breathe. Just could you just lift your hands if this in any way has, you know, has, has encouraged you or helped you, Lord, with every lifted hand in this house. I pray right now. I pray in a, in a real way for the millennials in this household, Lord. I pray in the midst of their crazy journey, but in their amazing ability to relate to people who are different, the poor, the lonely, the, the disenfranchised. I pray right now, old and young alike, but that you would pour out afresh your spirit of increase, your spirit of grace, your spirit of truth, courage, hope, understanding, revelation. I pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. 
Oh, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. In the beautiful name of Jesus.